hear the, the overarching message that Jesus coming to us is good news, great joy for all people. Amen. Let's read this together. Luke 2, it says, But the angels reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news. The most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone, everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the good news. Thank you that you are good. How do we just want to praise you this morning and keep on praising you as you continue to speak and minister to our spirits this morning? God, um, we just open the door. Say, speak to us. We don't want to leave here the same. God, as a result of being in your presence with your children this morning, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. All right. So, this, what I'm about to share is, is really the, the reason I, I think I felt prompted to, to, to come into this message this season. Um, you've heard some of these conversations, and you've heard, uh, maybe read some articles, you've heard some stories like this. I heard a pastor on a podcast just this week, he was talking about a book um, that he had just finished, and it was written by an ex-pastor um, who had become an atheist. And in the book, he says the guy tells his whole story, and he's very transparent, and he, and he goes into why he doesn't believe the Bible is truth anymore, and why he doesn't believe that God exists, and, and, and he was even still in ministry when he began slowly losing his faith, and was still in ministry when he lost it. And so he tells of that journey, and, and the pastor reading the book said that it was heartbreaking, as you might imagine. And this pastor in the book tells about how he told his family, and he told his wife, and they eventually got divorced. She wanted to be married to a pastor. In fact, she remarried another pastor. Um, he remarried later too, but the most gut-wrenching part of the book, this pastor says, is when he, was, uh, when he told his mom. He, he tells his mom that he's, if you want to use the word deconverting from Christianity, and it doesn't bother her the way that he thought it would. And, and very soon after, come to find out, she deconverted as well. And she expressed her relief in giving up this faith and all the baggage that came with her version of Christianity. And at one point, this is what she says. This is a quote from the book. She says, it's wonderful because I don't have to hate anymore. It's wonderful to be free of this religious burden. Now, Friday morning when the storm hit um, and school was late or canceled uh, for some of us, I, I took off the, in the morning to meet some people and for some appointments that I had. And I kid you not, I was talking with Bella um, as we were driving that morning. She was in the passenger seat, how people just don't drive slow enough as we were coming up on a, uh, on a pileup at, at the intersection. And um, I was going about five miles per hour coming up to this because I could see there was a pile up. And I, so, you, you know, you know that, you know, people are, are, are sliding everywhere. And my vehicle, as I come into this turn, Jim, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I was doing this, but I was still going this way, going five miles per hour. And, and so I ended up bumper kissing a vast uh, corporate truck that um, I later found out had done the same thing that I had done, along with four other vehicles that were in this same pileup. Now, I didn't do any damage and, and no one was hurt, except for there was one lady um, in, this, in this mess of, of six vehicles that were there. She was in a Jeep, and every car that was in the pileup ended up hitting her except for me. And so I just felt bad for her. <laughs> her husband later came and uh, was just hanging out with us as we were waiting for the paperwork to, to, to be filled out. And he said, well, I never liked the Jeep anyway. <laughs> but, uh, um, and so anyhow, I only mention it because all of us in this 
pile up, we're becoming quick friends. You know, misery loves company, as they say. And so there was only one police officer on duty for Box Elder, the whole town that morning. And as you can imagine, um, you know, with that kind of... that. And Box Elder, yeah, <laughs> he remembers it. And so as we were commiserating, um, I overheard one of the ladies say to, the, to another person that was standing next to her, one of the other ladies, she said, I'm a recovering blank. And um, she, she, she mentioned a certain Christian denomination, which is not necessary for me to name this morning. She said, I'm a recovering blank. And, and, the, and then she added, life is so much easier now. No more confession, no more guilt from what I did on Friday and Saturday night. And I've had some conversations about some of these stories with young people, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we're hearing them um, in the church world, and not with, just with pastors, but with lay people of all ages. And, and there are many stories, not just in this book about this pastor and the surprising you know, thing that his mom said, but more than just a lady in the car pile up out in Box Elder, we have more and more um, agnostics and atheists um, in this upcoming generation in America than in our country's history. And if you talk to them, Many of them grew up attending church. And uh, this is something to think about. We, you know, we have this whole generation of churchgoers that have grown up with some kind of almost an us versus them mentality. This is the church trying to uh, raise up a standard in an unforgivingly dark world um, versus a picture which is similar, but the picture of us for them bringing the light into a dark world as a way of rescue, right? And I mean, if I'd grown up in one of those churches, I don't think, I don't know if I would be still going to church either. And, and so what, what is this that we're seeing? It's a version of faith where you have to dislike a group of people in order to kind of keep your walls up. I'm a version of faith where you basically have to uh, hate a group of people, a version of faith that you're, you're constantly looking for a way out, um, that you just can't wait to get out of this thing and kind of shake yourself free and move on. I mean, none of those versions of faith sound like good news, do they? And, and so that's not good news. That's bad news or old news. And yet we've got a generation that's leaving the church because that's what they see in the church or that's what they've experienced. And so now, as, as we've said throughout this series, for some, the resistance to Christianity um, revolves around this question, is it true? Now, for, for other people, and more and more often in our culture and in our time, the question that they're wrestling with is a different question. The question is, is it even good? I mean, if Christianity, this is you know, kind of what they're thinking, if Christianity causes me to hate, it may be true, but it's not good to hate. If it causes me to feel like I can't, you know, if people would think this too, if I can't live my life and be myself, then clearly it's not good. Now, when we hear news, this is true of all of us, when we hear that that's not good, we, something that's not good, we hope it's not true. All right, we've been talking about that. Whether it's a medical diagnosis or something with your job, when you hear news that's not good, you hope it's not true. But when you hear news that is good, when um, good, absolutely good news, you hope that it's true, no matter what it is, whether it has to do with your health, your finances, somebody that you're dating, or, or your marriage, when you hear news that is good, some, something that you read, a headline, when you hear news that is good, you immediately hope that it's true. So the question that we've been wrestling with is where we're going to kind of land today. And if, if the message of Jesus is good, then why don't people lean in and then hope that it's true? And why is it that there are versions of our faith that aren't so good that people are looking for ways to get out? Because when Jesus' birth was announced, it's so interesting. It could have been announced, you know, so many different ways with lots of different words. But here's the initial announcement. Here's the headline. Here's the breaking news. It's good news. <laughs> Good news. This is the terminology that was used. This was the phrase, good news of great joy. That is when you understand this, it's going to light up something on the inside of you. you know, and it's not just for the people in that city. It's not meant for just even that part of the world. This was the shocker. I mean, no one could even imagine news that would be good for all people. Because generally good news for one group of people is bad news for another group of people. In fact, the good news was so good, they actually just titled the whole thing the gospel, which means the good story. I mean, why come up with anything else, right? Let's just name it what it is. This is good. But again, if it's that good, supposedly, why the resistance? Why would anybody 
be looking for an out? Why would people who don't believe it's true, you know, wish that it was? Why would the resistance to Christianity be, you know, wow, you know, it's hard to believe. I'm not sure that I can believe all that, but imagine if it was true. Imagine if it was, because when you hear good news, you want it to be true. You don't resist it. You hope that it is true. And the original version was so good. It was so good that it was compelling, and the original version was so good that it was worth telling as well. So as we said in week one, it was so worth telling that no one had to pay anybody to tell it, right? We're talking about this. Luke tells us that many, 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 many people, there's no parallel in ancient history of this, that many people endeavored to document the life and the teachings of Jesus, not because they were paid to do so, but because they knew the story needed to be preserved. And it needed to be told. And it was for every generation. It was for every nation. So the question that I want us to wrestle with today is this. What happened? What specifically happened to the good news? Why isn't everybody leaning in? Why doesn't everybody want it to be true? Okay. And maybe what happened is we happened. (laughs) The church Maybe it's a little bit our fault because the church, just hear me out. (laughs) The church has certainly Americanized the good news. We've certainly politicized the good news. We've prosperitized the good news, right? We've intellectualized the good news. And we've even internalized the good news. And by that, I mean, we've reduced it to something that you just believe rather than a person who is Jesus that we follow. You know, we've, we've reduced it to, in some cases, fire insurance, right? Um, Some of you, when you became a Christian, it wasn't because, you know, I love God is because, or, you know, it wasn't because you wanted to follow Jesus. The way it was presented to you was trying to avoid experience, you know, in, in the life after this one, right? That's how some of us made the decision was out of fear, But when you read the gospel, the good news, the accounts of the life of Jesus, it's not primarily about what happens after you die. It's not primarily about even what you believe. It's about how you live your life and it's about how you treat other people. And when it gets reduced to what's in it for me, in spite of how it might affect you, that's not good news of great joy for all nations, for all people. That's not the original news. This is what I would call the pick and choose news. <laughs> when you pick and choose the parts that suit you and your family, I pick and choose the parts that I think are gonna benefit me. But the moment we do that, and the moment I do that, and the moment I preach like that, in that moment it is no longer good news of great joy for all people everywhere, for all nations. So my voice is so dry this morning, my throat. So I'm gonna give you an example. An extreme Example. So I'm acknowledging up front, this is extreme, okay? Have you ever heard of, of the slave Bible? There are only three known copies that are left in existence. They have one at the Museum of the Bible, and they don't even own it. Um, it's on loan from another museum. The slave Bible was actually a Bible that was published. This isn't like a one-off. This was a published Bible in 1807. It was published by the Society for the Conversion of Slaves in the British West Indies. So in London, there was an actual publisher that published the Slave Bible. And it was used to teach slaves how to read. And it was used to teach slaves um, the message, excuse me, of Christianity to convert them to Christianity. But the publishers removed any part of the Bible that undermined the legitimacy of slavery. So they took out the whole Exodus story. In fact, they took out most of the story of the Hebrew people migrating to the promised land and you know, throwing off captivity. They took out so many verses that the Bible went from about 100, um, 1,100 chapters to around 300 chapters in the slave Bible. They took out the verse where Apostle Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus, because the slave Bible was good news for slave owners, but it was bad news for slaves. Now, the point being this, 
if, if my version, and I'm not above this, I could be as guilty as anybody else. If my version of the good news, and if your version of the good news is, got, is not good news for Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, righteous and unrighteous, saints and sinners, the political left, the political right, your sister-in-law, your crazy uncle, that skeptical cousin, that part of the family that's coming for Christmas and you're already wondering how long they're actually gonna stay, <laughs> you know, that annoying neighbor, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, if it's not good news for them, then it's not the original news. It's not the original version. The, the, the Apostle Paul's story is so interesting, and we're going to go to just a piece of it in just a minute. The Apostle Paul is an actual person who lived in actual history, um, who is right at the epicenter of this transition from the, the law of the prophets to the good news for the kingdom of God. And so there was this huge transition, and he was a Pharisee, so he knew kind of this old way, backwards and forwards, and then he became a Jesus follower. But here's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, you have never met anyone for whom the good news was not good news. You've never met anyone for who the good news is not good news. And so the question I want to just put out in front of us this morning is, what about me? What about me? Am I good news? So the question is about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you good news of great joy for all people? Or is it just the people like you, right? Or the ones that you like? Because I have a feeling, and you're smart enough to know that this is the case, that if we, the church, had gotten this right, I'm not, just, I'm not talking about destiny. I'm talking about the, the church, our communities, maybe our nation, maybe the world would be in a different and a gooder place. Right? Remember what Jesus said? This is so fundamental. It was at the epicenter of this translation of what God through Christ was introducing to the world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom values. Do you remember? I know you do because we talk about it a lot. Um, do you remember what he says was to characterize his followers? Was it correct belief? No. He said, by this, all men and women and everyone in the world will know that you are following me by the way that you what? Love one another. And the way that you treat, the way that you treat other people, that's good news. And every single generation of the followers of Jesus are responsible to ensure that the news that we carry is that original news, the good news of Jesus, that our news is good news. Again, Jesus could not have been clearer. How do we miss this, right? Uh, one day he's preaching and he says to the people who are gathered to follow him, he says, you, and the you is you and you and you and you and you and you. He's talking to you <laughs> and me. It's all of us. He says, you let me tell you who you are if you're going to follow me. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not just Judea, not just Samaria, not just Galilee. You, you are the light of the world. You. You're the good news. Guess what? There's no plan B. You're, you're the good news. <laughs> and so... The group, they've, they're, they're gathered with him that day. I mean, their world wasn't bigger than 25 miles in any direction. That was their whole world. And he says, you're the light of the world. And they're thinking, we can't be the light of the whole world. I mean, we're not even going anywhere. You know, we're in this little, he says, no, 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 no. This, even, this isn't even just about you. I want everyone who chooses to follow me to understand that you are the light of the world. This message is for the whole world, and when it's understood properly, it will be perceived as light. Like, the lights are going to come on, right? Like, suddenly I see myself in a way that's different than the way that I've seen myself before. And I see you in a way that's different than I've seen you before. I see my enemies different. I see my responsibilities different. I see everything different. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they might see something, that they might see your good deeds that come from 
this good news, right? As a result of what you do, not just what you believe, that they may see your good deeds and look up and recognize there is a connection between your good deeds and your good Father who is in heaven. Because your light may be the only light that they ever see, right? On this planet, your light might be the only thing that magnifies, that's what it means to glorify, that magnifies who God really is. And so in other words, my responsibility and your responsibility is to personify the good news. He wants us, you know, he, he came and said, I am the light of the world, but then he starts talking to us and he says, well, you are too. You are the light of the world. We reflect him. So you are the light of the world. So you get to personify, you get to be in the flesh like Jesus was when he was on the planet, the good news to people on this planet. And so now back to the apostle Paul, initially when he heard about the good news, he did not think that it was good news, right? Um, Primarily because he didn't understand it. So he got a version of the news and he was a Pharisee and his future and his finances and his popularity and everything about him was kind of tied to the old ways, right? And so here's something um, that you understand. You, we all understand this. People who benefit the most from, from an old view, people who benefit the most from status quo, um, they are the least inclined to let it go, right? Um, so the apostle Paul, everything about him is bound up kind of in this old way of thinking. And then he goes and he gets himself deputized and he is a violent man. He is an activist. He is a violent activist. Um, And he decides to single-handedly, if need be, put this good news thing, this Nazarene sect, because that's what they called it because Jesus was from Nazareth, this Nazarene sect, this thing called the way, Paul's going to put it out of the way, right? He's going to put it out of business. That was his plan. And then he runs headlong into the buzzsaw of grace. (laughs) Grace just kind of, you know, wakes him up. And the mercy of a God that he didn't even know. And when that happens, when he understands what the real news is, this is amazing. This is the untold part of his story. He lays down all of this violent, coercive, fear-driven you know, ways that the things that he was doing, and he continues to be an activist and he continues to be an apostle. He continues to be a missionary, but now he's got a different message. And he says in one of his letters, the only thing that really matters, this is amazing. He says, the only thing that really matters is faith working its way out through love. I'm gonna work out my faith through love. Like, wait, 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 you're the guy that was arresting people You had people tortured, you had Christians tortured. And Paul would say, well, I didn't understand the news. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't understand how good it was. I didn't understand that it was for all nations and for every generation. And he gave his life to clarify for the people just how good this news really was. So he writes these letters. And I wanna read a portion from his letter to the church in Philippi in Greece. If you grew up in church, you've heard this before, but I I just want you to think for a moment as as we're reading this this morning, what if this characterized us? What if this characterized every single believer in our community? What if this characterized every believer in the world? What if this characterized every Christian father? What if this characterized your father, every, um, you know, believing mother, every Christian high school student, every Christian college student? What if this was just the way that we lived? What if our lives characterized and personified the good news? And and that's what the apostle Paul teaches over and over and over and over again. He takes Jesus' message of you are the light of the world and he kind of teases it out, um, teases it out in ways that we can understand. And so here's what he writes to the first century Christians in Philippi. Here's what he writes to me. Here's what he writes to you. So I want you to listen to it that way this morning. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, now that you're in Christ, now that you're in this brand new covenant with this brand new understanding, now that you've entered this new kingdom that's forever, if there's anything that's encouraging about that, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing among those of you that are in the community of these little ecclesia, you know, these little churches in the spirit, 
have any tenderness and compassion. In other words, if there's anything about following Jesus that's come your way that's good, if you've benefited from the good news from following Jesus, he says, then look, do me a favor. I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. He says, when people look at your little ecclesia, your little community, your little church in these little Roman provinces, I want people to see something unique about the way that you treat each other. Allow the good that has come into your life to overflow into your relationships. So this isn't simply something that you believe about a new kingdom and a new way of viewing God. This is something that you do, that you walk out, that you live. So Paul tells us what exactly, you know, what exactly do you have in mind, Paul? Let's, let's flesh this out. I mean, the language that you're using here is a little bit flowery. So he goes, all right, I'm going to get really specific, okay? Okay, so we're ready. We're ready in the house this morning. And this is what he says. You're going to be sorry that you asked, right? <laughs> no, no, no. We really want to get this right. How do we live lives that are so good that people think the gospel is good? He says, okay, here we go. Number one, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wow. That's good. Wouldn't, wouldn't, that'd be really good, right? Wouldn't, it? wouldn't you like to work for somebody like that? <laughs> and if, if you're hiring people, wouldn't you like to hire people like that? Don't you wish your parents had been that way? Aren't you glad your parents are that way if they were, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value them above yourselves. Not because they're more valuable. You treat them as if they're more valuable. Why would you do that? Paul says, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because this is right at the center. This is, this is the point of the spear of the gospel because for God so loved the world, for God so valued you, he put you ahead of himself. That he sent his son to die for your sin. You are not more valuable than God. But he treated you as if you had greater value. He says, now that's the good news. That's a good message right there. I want you to live your lives in such a way that you do for others what God and Christ has done for you. That is And when people see that, they're going to say, that's good. I don't know if I could really buy into everything that they believe about the person of Jesus, but what if that were true? Because they're just, their jaws are dropping, right? That is good. Paul goes on to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of others. Why? Because Jesus did it for you. The essence of the gospel is that God puts you first, not because, again, you should come first or I should come first. He chose to put you first. He said, follow me. This is, this is how I want you to treat people, all people, the people that you think deserve it, and even more importantly, the people that you are sure don't. It's what Jesus' followers do, not believe. We've, we've got the believing part down, but it's what we do. And then this statement, I mean, I don't know, again, how we miss this. It's not tucked away anywhere. It's front and center. He says, and this is so powerful, in your relationships one another, with one another. Which relationships? All the relationships. In your relationships with one another, your husband relationship, your wife relationship, your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the guy at work, the woman at work, right? The person that you love, the person that you don't like, the person that you hate to have, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with, the person in the other political party that you can't stand, in your relationships with one another, ready? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's good. Because when you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in your relationships, what will happen? You will defer to them. You will do what's best for them. You will put them first. You will place yourself under their burden instead of requiring them to place themselves under you. Amen. 
You will not power up, but you will step down. And that's unusual, and it's not the way the world works, but it represents the value system of the kingdom of God that was introduced when a baby was born and proclaimed king, and the earth shook. Good news, great joy, all people. King Herod was afraid of a baby, and little did he know that, you know, he would become a footnote in the story of the birth of the Savior of the world, right? That's goodness. And so he goes on to say, he says, who? He's talking about Jesus. This is amazing. This is the most amazing part. Now, again, don't just hear me reading the Bible for a minute, okay? Here's, here's me reading a letter from, from the first century written by someone who knew Peter, who knew James, the brother of Jesus, who knew John, who had been to Jerusalem and met the people who had spent time with Jesus. And here's what Paul says, talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, Peter, tell me, tell me what you think of your rabbi Jesus. How do you describe him? Peter would say it was like he was God in a body. It, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like we were with God. We realized that his words were the words of God when he was standing in front of us. James, explain your brother. It's hard to explain my brother. Growing up, he was different, okay? You know, <laughs> In fact, he was so different that when he began to be, become a rabbi, I thought, you're not a rabbi. And, and then after the resurrection, I, really, I realized, no wonder, it was like God had come to be with us. It's like he had come to introduce something new into the world. So listen to this with that in mind. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. What? Yeah, that God showed up among you know, mere mortals and never powered up. He never played the God card. He never used his power and influence for his own benefit. Do you know what he did? Now, now listen to this, because this, this would change your office. This would change the community. This would change the world. In fact, it, it did change the world <laughs> one time. <laughs> he leveraged his power and his influence for the benefit of those with less power and less influence. He leveraged his power and influence as God for the benefit of those who had less power and less influence. There are communities in our country and there are nations around the world that this one simple idea would liberate so many. It would free so many people and it would increase the lifespan and the quality of life of millions and millions of people. If there would be world leaders who would embrace this one single idea that as the center of the gospel message, it would bring so much good that we wouldn't even be able to measure it. Is the message of Jesus good? Are you kidding are you kidding that God came to earth and leveraged his power and his influence for the sake of those who had no power and no influence? There is nothing better than that. That the father that you hope, that's the father that you hope raised you, right? That's, it's the father that you want to become. It's the mother that you're so grateful for. It's the mother that, you know, you look back and you think if only she had understood this one idea, it would have changed everything. That would be good for the whole world. Paul's not done. He says, rather, instead of powering up, he chose to make himself nothing. He chose to make himself in the first century and nobody. And how far did he take it? This is unprecedented. It's still unprecedented. This is why it changed the world. It's why the world sat up and paid attention to this amazing story that no one would have made up. There was no parallel. There was no framework for this kind of story. He says, by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He chose to place himself under. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And here's the part that for most of us, it's probably hard for us to grasp because we will never see one, we'll never smell one, even death on the cross. The moment that your God and my God was most glorified would have been the moment that we would have been most horrified. We would have looked away. Do you know what the goal of crucifixion was? The goal of crucifixion was oblivion. The goal of crucifixion was is, 
it's as if you've never existed, right? And, and so it was so horrible that your friends would never claim to have known you and your family would have already disowned you. No one would uh, know where you were buried. Um, it was as, as if you had never existed. And this is the end that your Savior chose to make sure that he punctuated his point. I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I have come to leverage my power and my influence for those who have virtually no power and no influence. Now, I want you to follow me and I want you to learn from me and I want you to figure out in your own worlds with your family and with your finances and with your own opportunities how to do that, how to emulate that because that is good. That's good news. And that's good news for the whole world. Is Christianity good? Are you kidding? (laughs) Is there anything better? He was the king who came to reverse the order of everything, and he invites us to follow. Imagine if the kings of this earth, (laughs) if the politicians, if the global leadership of this earth embraced this one single day, how much good would be released on the planet? Yes, it is good. Let's go down to verse 12. Paul says, Okay, look, you've, you've, you've got to play a part in this. So guys, he says, men and women, I want you to continue to work out. I love that idea. I love that phrase. I want, to, I want you to continue to allow God to squeeze this out of you. Everything associated with your salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Look at this. To will and to act in order to fulfill his, and here's our word, good purpose. And what is this good purpose? For the world to know that there's a God who invited, you know, the world to call him father. That's it. And that he sent his son to do the ultimate and pay the ultimate price and invites us to follow him to set up a brand new world order. Not, a, not, a, not like anything that we've ever seen, a kingdom of conscience, a kingdom where the heart rules and the heart is in sync with the heart of God. That's the invitation. Is that good? It's all good. <laughs> It's, it's all good. That changes everything because it changes humanity from the inside out. And when we do that, good things happen around us. The perversion of the gospel says, no, 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 no. Good things happen to us, right? The apostle Paul would say, no, 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 no. Good things happen around us. When we embrace that perversion, it becomes about us and we are no longer good news. Paul wraps up and he says this. He says, look, do everything without grumbling or arguing, talking about believers, so that you may become blameless. Do you know what it means to be blameless? It means nobody can blame you for anything, right? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. You know what a blameless person does? A blameless person messes up, (laughs) just like all of us, messes up. And then a blameless person immediately apologizes. Before somebody can blame them, they've already taken care of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna talk to her. Oh, well, well, she's already owned it. She's already taken care of it. I'm gonna go in there and blame them. Nope, he's already apologized. Blameless means I'm not carrying around any blame. Yes, I'm going to goof up. Yes, I'm going to do some not so good things, but then I'm going to own it uh, and I'm going to be (laughs) quick to own it. I'm going to own it so quickly that, you know, you don't even have an opportunity for blame. You're not going to catch me because I'm going to find you and confess it. (laughs) That's good. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure Get this, children of God, like father, like son, without fault in a warped, what's in it for me in crooked generation. And then, this is so great, the apostle Paul reaches back and he grabs this very term that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just finished going through. He said, when you live this way, 
And when you lean into not only this good news, but this good way of living because of your good behavior, he says, when you do this, and especially when you do this as a congregation, especially when you do this as a group of people in your city or your town or your nation, he said, the results are going to be exactly what Jesus said. You're going to shine in the world like stars in the sky. Your selflessness will stand in sharp contrast to the selfishness characterized in the kingdoms of this world. So imagine a world like that. This is what we've been invited to. This is how you change the world, regardless of how the world pushes back, because everyone intuitively knows that that's good. So I want to be very specific, and we'll close with this. You know, how, how does good news behave what happens when we personify good news? Like we're saying that that's, that's, that's our role. That's what we do. How, what, what positions us to not just believe, but be the good news? I, I want to give us four quick suggestions, and I've already touched on all of them because all of these come from right out of the text that we've already read this morning. So four suggestions for the rest of this Christmas season, if you want to put some focus on it because during this time of Christmas season, you're going to have opportunities given to you by, by God to be the light of the world. How many of you know that? You're going to have opportunities to be the light of the world in your little part and in my little part of the world. So number one, apologize immediately. <laughs> apologize immediately. We're not always good news, are we? So apologize immediately. Let me just own it and own it quickly. Now, can I, can I say something to the guys real quick? Maybe because we, you know, I've, I've been a man longer than I've been a pastor, so I understand this. <laughs> um, ladies, maybe you too. But men, when, when we mess up, what do we do? It seems our ego likes to get in the way, and we walk around the house, and we justify, we justify, and we justify, right? And we just talk to ourselves, and we have imaginary conversations with our wives and our girlfriends and the people we've hurt, and we justify, and we justify. <laughs> and the whole time we're doing it, we may even know that we're wrong. Instead of apologizing quickly, we just spread it out, and we stretch it out, and ruin an afternoon, or ruin a day, or maybe ruin a weekend and then eventually we realize okay I've got to apologize instead how about let's not do that <laughs> how about we just apologize immediately then guess what you can become blameless you can become blameless not because you perf you're perfect not because you didn't mess up but because you owned it and that one shift that one change for somebody in this room, uh, myself included, that might be the thing that opens up a brand new level of love, of respect, and communication in your family or with somebody that you care about. Number two, forgive quickly. We have to forgive quickly because we are forgiven, right? As Jesus followers, we have no excuse to hang on to bitterness or anger. We have zero. I mean, you know, we're going to get hurt, right? That's, that's part of life. We're gonna deal with our own emotions, but in terms of forgiveness, forgive quickly. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. Number three, I love this word. We don't use it much, defer. Defer habitually. I love it. Defer means you first. It means, the verb means you go first. I, I heard a story about a, a very rich man that insisted on always holding the door open for his limousine driver. And it just drove the chauffeur crazy. He didn't know what to do with it. And he's like, no, see, this is a limousine service and I'm working for you and I'm just not gonna let you open the door for me. But the wealthy man just kept on deferring. So what does that look like in your world? Why, why should we defer? We, we already talked about this. Why should we put other people first? Good news, great joy for all mankind. Come on, a king was born, a king who gave his life for his subjects Instead of asking the subjects to give their lives for him, that's why he deferred for you. He shows us how to do it. He says, follow me. Let's go, guys. Come on. And then the last one, give sacrificially. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let's do this because if everybody does this, everybody knows that it's good news whether they believe it's true or not. The good news, listen, we started with this arc and the story and, and, you know, all this language of 
you know, deconverting and, you know, that's happening in, in, in our world right now. The good news only becomes bad news when I'm bad news. And the good news for somebody <laughs> becomes bad news when you're bad news. When the news becomes more about a what than a who, when the news becomes more about a view than the person that's standing right in front of you, when that happens, it's no longer good news. So one last time and we're done, and we'll get ready to pray and you can come up and we'll be sent out. Are you good news? That's the question. Are you good news? Am I good news? Because come on, and you, you know this, if the good news lives inside of us, shouldn't there be something about us that's good news for our world? Last thing, if the life and the teaching of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, I, just, I guess I just want to say it this morning. It may be because the church hasn't been good news for you. And if that's your story, I just want you to know, as a pastor, and I don't represent anybody but, you know, me in our church, but I just want you to know that I am so extremely sorry. And I think that the mistrust and the disinterest and the lack of faith that we are seeing in our world are in many ways justified. I can't change, you know, the past and I can't change what you've experienced in the past, but I, I wanna leave you with this. I wanna leave you with the good news, the original version of the good news, because it's good. And I believe it with all my heart. In the distant past, in a world where might made right, where the pagan gods toyed with humanity and favored the powerful, and where the Jewish temple only seemed to favor the religious, that God sent his son into this world to replace and to establish a brand new kind of relationship, a brand new kind of covenant between God and man. And on that very first Christmas, this brand new arrangement was announced this way. Angel came and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah and he is Christ the Lord. And when that baby grew to be a man and he stepped onto the pages of history as Jesus of Nazareth, he extended a simple invitation to all of you and to all of us and he just said, follow. And it was an invitation to good people. It was an invitation to not so good people. And it was an invitation to people who weren't sure that there was any good left in the world. So is the message of Jesus true? That's a big question that we can wrestle with on another day, I believe it is. But the, was the message and is the message of Jesus good? It is better than good. It's better than good and it's good for you and it's good for me and it's good for the whole world. I'm gonna leave you um, with the four questions that are on the bottom of your handout. You'll find them also on social media. Um, if you don't have that, you'll, you can grab it on your way out if you're here in house. Um, you can grab it um, from the website if you're watching online, but you'll find dis discussion questions like these and our going, going deeper questions. Um, that get sent out every week. Um, they get, uh, it's just to, to go deeper with the, the messages that we share on the platform um, every weekend. And uh, several of you um, sign up for that. You can do that at that URL there if you wanna get those. But um, you can take a picture. We're gonna put it up on the screen here in just a second. But I, I wanna draw your attention to the last question um, this, this for, that's on your notes this morning. And I just wanna challenge you with this, I guess. I guess I wanna just leave us with this. Is anyone coming for Christmas who needs to see and experience the good news through you? Is anybody coming for Christmas that needs to see and hear the good news through you? And what, and you might hate me for this, <laughs> but what is one unexpected thing that you could do for that person that would make your light shine a little bit brighter than usual? Let's be the good news, amen. 
You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Father God, I, I just pray that you would help us to personify good news to those that are around us. God, to be a light in a dark place, not just the idea of raising up a standard in a dark world, because that's, that's a good and noble thing, but to raise up a standard in the way of, hey, there's a beacon, there's a light, there's a rescue, and I have some good news for you. Good news that will change the world and it will change the world that's, as it changes people. So help us, show us how to be good news. Fill us, God. We know that, Holy Spirit, you empower us. You fill us up to spill out. So God, we just empty ourselves of ourselves. Not even that, you, know, you, you love who we are. But God, so with all of who you created us to be and all of who you are with us, we partner with you to be good news in this world. All of us and all of you. God, do that. Do that miracle. God, we will see our community changed. We will see uh, churches changed. We will see our state, our country, this world. God, thank you that you first came to be the light of the world. You came to be good news of great joy for all people. God, we just thank you for that. You are so, 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 so good. With every head bowed and all the believers just praying and interceding right now in this place this morning, every eye closed. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to give you an opportunity to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus with my life this morning. Nothing um, magical about uh, the, uh, what I want to do this morning, but I just want to lead you in a prayer. I just want to lead you in a yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to follow you. Whether it's your first time or whether you're just circling around and coming back to Jesus, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> he is a rescue he is a rescue for you today. So if that's you, with nobody looking around, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray with you this morning. All right. Let's pray this together. Say, Father God, I give you all of my heart, all of who I am. I give my life to follow you. Thank you for coming to be a light in our world. Now fill me with your goodness so that I can be a light and the good news to those that you bring in my path. Let's start today. I just want to pray, use me. Use me, Lord. All that I am is yours. I lay my life down and I want to follow you. Your name we pray, amen.